You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Today's episode, take none of these and call me in the morning. This is Fanny, a not-at-all-made-up woman living in 1820-something. Oh, dearie. Fanny's feeling a little under the weather. What seems to be the trouble, Miss Van Bottom? Oh, Dr. Hindquarters. I took the horses out romping Tuesday last. This is exactly how people in the early 19th century spoke, by the way. Of course. Every horse needs a good Tuesday romping. Yes, but it was perhaps a bit damp, and the next morning I woke with a touch of fever. I see. And that's persisted? Worsened. I'm weak and sore, and I can't say it. It's too weird. Madam, I'm your physician. Out with it. Sweating. Constantly sweating. Forgive me. Quite all right, Miss Van Bottom. It sounds to me as if you've been taken by distemper. Actually, she has the flu, but close enough. So what treatment could Fanny Fanbottom, again, a very real historical personage and not at all a pat narrative device, look forward to for her flu in 1820-something? If she had the money, the go-to cure might be to prescribe her... A theriac. Theriac? That's right. The best medicine that will ever be created, or this isn't 1820-something. What's in it? Rhubarb, cinnamon, lavender, fennel, pepper, parsley. And that doesn't sound so bad. Turpentine. Wait. Opium, castorium. What's that? A castorium? The anal glands of a beaver. Oh. And of course, viper flesh. Viper flesh. Don't worry, it's fermented for a few years first. And that's... necessary? Oh, yes. That one is especially crucial. You've got a poison in you, and the theriac will poison out the poison. That sounds dangerous. It's fine. We sweeten it with honey. Oh! Well, in that case, let's have it. Here you go. Check back in a week. Thank you, doctor. So Fanny goes to the pharmacist and purchases a theriac, or Venice treacle. For 2,000 years, this very expensive concoction was thought to be a panacea, a cure for all possible ailments. The only problem was... It didn't work. Oh, oh. And it was terrible, of course. Oh, God. Oh, God. And probably would give you food poisoning. Or worse. Oh, God. But what other options were there? Mrs. Fanbottom, how did the theriac work out for you? Well, I appreciated the honey. I thought you would. And the opium. Sure. But I think the aged viper flesh turned my stomach. Let's not go beating up on the aged viper flesh. Perhaps it was the beaver anal sacs. And I've still got the flu. Distemper. Distemper. Flu. I was afraid of this, Mrs. Fanbottom. Please call me Fanny. 
Fanny Fanbottom. That's right. What a wonderful name. It sounds so... Historical? Real. Why, thank you, Doctor. Please call me... How about I just call you Doctor? Capital idea. As I was saying, Fanny, it appears that your ailment is due to an imbalance in your humors. Explaining humors is going to require a little more time travel. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? Further than that... Lazarus. Come forth! Further... Too far. To whatever illustrious towns I go, I am praised by men and women, and accompanied by thousands who thirst for deliverance. There we go. Rome, the 4th century BC. Some ask for prophecies, and some entreat for remedies against all kinds of disease. This is Empedocles best known for coming up with the four elements. The idea that everything in the universe is made up of some combination of... Earth. Fire. Wind. Water. Heart. <laughs> he forgot heart. But Empedocles didn't just think that all physical matter was made up of those four elements. He also thought that all life was made up of four substances which corresponded to the elements. Those being blood, black bile phlegm, and yellow bile. According to Empedocles, every living thing had a different balance of these humors that determined their nature. I also threw myself into a volcano to prove I was a god. Yes. Thank you, Empedocles. No problem! Soon after Empedocles created the idea of humors, Hippocrates came along and logically extended the idea. If every being has a natural balance of humors, then disease must be caused by an imbalance of those humors. And thus, medicine is born. Yeah, that Hippocrates, father of medicine, Hippocratic Oath, etc. It all stems from this idea, pulled out of thin air by a guy who jumped into a volcano. That's the stage set for the next 2,200 years of medicine. You've probably heard of humoral treatments before. Leeches, bloodletting, drawing out a fever. The notion was that sickness came from a surfeit of humors, and so you had to remove the excess to cure the ailment. It didn't work, of course, but that only made physicians double down. By the late 1700s, the medicine had moved on from light bloodletting and inducing fevers with chili peppers into a new thing called... Heroic medicine. Heroic medicine? What's that? It's simple. You're familiar, no doubt, with the treatments of old. Leeches. Ew. Cold baths. Oh. Diuretics. As in di it, Diarrhea, yes. It's just as it sounds. I hope you're not suggesting those sorts of treatments for me. Oh, heavens no. Good. That way of doing things was crude and ineffective. That's a load off. You see, if we're truly to balance your humors, we need to go a good deal further. Oh. What I propose is that we begin with a round of cantharidin, applied topically around the face and neck. What is cantharidin? It's just a fancy schmancy name for chemicals secreted from the anus of a blister beetle. I... It causes irritation and burning. When you say burning... Oh, nothing serious. Mostly first-degree burns, I assure you. Mostly. Well, nothing's perfect. 
but that'll help raise your fever significantly so we excise a good bit of excess sweat. Then it'll be time for this baby. Oh, Jesus, what's that? Well, this is my scarificator. It's a spring-loaded set of sharp blades that I'll apply to your wrist. But I thought you said bloodletting was crude and ineffective. I said leeches were crude and ineffective. They barely make a dent in your blood levels. The scarificator here, well, I call him Scarfy. Scarfy can remove a good 80% of your blood in an hour. Okay, let's table that idea for a minute. Have you got any other treatments we could try before we resort to removing the vast majority of my blood and covering me in burns? No bloodletting, burning, or fermented snake meat? Let me think. Lucky for Fanny, there was an alternative. Because in 1807, a German physician named Samuel Hahnemann came up with a new idea. Hahnemann was, rightly, frustrated with heroic medicine and strange poultices and elixirs, which he noticed often did more harm than good. Not just frustrated, but disturbed. He was so afraid of becoming a murderer by way of badly treating patients that he gave up his medical practice entirely and started a new career as a writer and translator. And in the course of translating a medical treatise by Scottish physician William Cullen, he got an idea. See, not all medicine was as terrible and maladroit as slitting open veins and feeding people mercury. There were good treatments, too. It's just that nobody knew why they worked. Cullen's treatise was trying to explain the method of action of one particularly useful and new to Europeans' medicine, Sinchana. Sinchana is the bark of a Peruvian tree, and it was shockingly good at treating and preventing malaria, one of the most serious and deadly diseases of that or any time. Cullen's theory was that it was Sinchona's astringency that made it so good at battling the disease. But Hahnemann was unconvinced. He reasoned there were plenty of astringent substances in the world, and none of them took on malaria, so why would that quality of Sinchana be the important part? No. It had to be something else. So, Hahnemann dropped his translation and conducted an experiment. He got a section of the Sinchana bark and ate it, which proved to be a mistake. Hahnemann soon became feverish, then chilled, then feverish again. He was struck by headache, nausea, and joint pain. And when he recovered, he had a realization. Those symptoms that he had just experienced were the same symptoms as malaria. To him, that couldn't be coincidence. It had to mean something, and it had to mean something big, a new principle from medicine to replace humors and theriacs. Hahnemann's first principle went like this. That which would cause similar symptoms in a healthy person will cure those suffering of those symptoms, but not in large doses. Hahnemann figured you basically had to introduce a sick patient to a teensy tiny bit of whatever substance would create the same kind of sickness. So, he started a long trial of provings, where he attempted to catalog the malignant effects of various plants, minerals, and chemicals to work out what valuable cures they could provide once prepared. That preparation process had to do with creating the smallest dose possible taking a tiny bit of, say, arsenic, and vigorously shaking it in a large amount of water or alcohol, say, one part arsenic to a hundred parts water. Then, you take a tiny bit of that and dilute the dilution. So, one part of your one to a hundred solution is diluted again in another hundred parts water. Then again, then again, 
The thing about Hanneman's idea is that the more you diluted the initial medical stuff, the more potent the medicine became. So, if you put one part arsenic in 100 parts water, then put that in another 100 parts water, then put that in another 100 parts water over and over, you'd end up with an even more powerful medicine. Hanneman thought doing this 30 times was about perfect. Of course, at that point, it was basically impossible that the drug you ended up with had even a single atom of the cure left in it. As it happens, if you were trying to make a preparation out of salt, by the time you had diluted it 12 times in Hanneman's way, you'd have the equivalent of one pinch in the entirety of the Atlantic Ocean. So, when Hanneman started up his new practice, based on his new principles, he was, unbeknownst to him, basically selling pills filled with sugar, droplets filled with grain alcohol, and bottles of water. Nervous? Have an impossibly small amount of silver nitrate. Nosebleeds? Here's a teensy touch of iron sulfate. Hangover? Nothing a bit of strychnine won't cure. Suffering from acne? How about a 30 times diluted bit of anthrax from an infected sheep? Or, if you've got a flu, like our poor Fanny, Dr. Hindquarters might recommend... Wolfsbane. Isn't Wolfsbane poisonous? In large doses, yes. But the effects of the poison are very much like a terrible flu, so... Naturally, I'm going to dilute it down 30 or 50 times, and then it should work to fix your flu symptoms right up. You're sure it's safe? My dear, I'm not at all exaggerating when I say that by the time I'm done diluting this wolfsbane into water, you could drink a billion gallons of it and not be poisoned. All right, then. So Fanny and patients all around the world took their new remedies home. And when they came back to their doctors, many of them had the same reaction as our Fanny. Oh, doctor, thank you. Hanneman got pretty much everything wrong. His dosages made it so that he wasn't actually giving anyone any medicine at all. And the medicine he was trying to give was based on a totally faulty premise. I don't mean to spoil it for you, but things that create symptoms don't also cure those symptoms. He wasn't even right about cinchana. The bark of cinchana contains quinine, the tangy stuff in your gin and tonic, which happens to kill the parasite that causes malaria. But there was one thing that Hanneman got absolutely, perfectly right. The medicine of his day was making people worse. Feeling better, I take it? Am I? No bloodletting, no volatile, spoiled herbs and meats, no burning, no forced diarrhea. Compared to that, Hanneman's cures were... A miracle. I thought you might enjoy not bleeding and shitting everywhere. I truly do. And the flu has largely passed, too. You must tell me, what do you call this new medicine? We call it... And here's the big reveal. And I know, like, half of you already know, and you've been champing at the bit for a while now, but, oh, man, I am so jealous of those who are going to be surprised. Homeopathy. 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 From the Latin, like cures like. The same homeopathy that in the far-flung future year of 2018 will still be a multi-billion dollar industry? Literally the exact same one as that. Nothing will have changed whatsoever in the principles and practices. Isn't that astounding? But you'd think in the future there'd be a lot of improvement in actual medical science that would render these placebos obsolete. And yet it's going to continue making money hand over foot well into the future. But doctor, why? I'll tell you why. Because homeopathy is sold in every pharmacy in the world as if it's just regular medicine. 
or a supplement, or sometimes, if it has to be, they'll call it alternative medicine. Most people don't know what it is. They think homeopathy is the same word as holistic, which is usually bullshit, but in a different way for a different episode. Very few people who take homeopathy now understand, much less believe, in Hahnemann's theories. And the companies that sell the snake oil like it that way. They're a bunch of crooks. They're con artists on a ten-figure scale. Hahnemann wasn't a fraud. He got the answer wrong. And he, he got it wrong stubbornly. But he also got the question right. How do we effectively, safely treat the sick? The people selling diluted caffeine as a sleep aid in your local CVS aren't motivated by high-minded principle. They're just fleecing you because they can charge the same amount as real medicine for sugar pills. Hell, some of them don't even pretend. They'll put a drop of whatever quote-unquote active ingredient they have into a vat, mix up a batch, and never add any of the ingredient again. Because every time they flesh out a new dose or clean their equipment, they're just making the dilution even more potent. They don't even pretend they're putting drugs in your drugs. God, what a bunch of chicken hawks. And it would be one thing if they were just cravenly but harmlessly bilking the public. But sometimes modern homeopathy companies do real damage. Take Zycam, for instance. You've probably seen it. Hell, you've probably used it. And you probably didn't know it was supposedly homeopathic. Zycam is a nasal spray for colds. It's a homeopathic preparation of zinc. There's some research that says taking a large dose of zinc at the onset of a cold will reduce its duration and severity. But it won't cause cold symptoms. So Zycam isn't even homeopathy. It's just a very, very, very small amount of zinc, way less than could possibly work in a water spray. And in 2009, the FDA advised consumers to stop using it because hundreds of people had permanently damaged their sense of smell. The makers of Zycam fought taking their entirely ineffective and actually dangerous fake drug off market. Eventually, after sustained pressure, they acquiesced. But it's already back. By the way, the guy who invented Zycam He's worth approximately $850 million. Hanneman, on the other hand, went to Leipzig in his later years, hoping to teach, but the professors there would not pass his thesis. Because the board at Leipzig and Samuel Hanneman had the same thing going for them. They might not have known what worked, but they sure knew what didn't. Voice talent for today's episode comes from Tim Racine, Dan Cobbler, and Heather Chrysler. I don't know how I managed to bag her. From The City That Works, Chicago, Illinois, this has been The Constant. Yes, uh, but it was perhaps a bit damp, and the next morning I woke with a touch of fever. Let's go back to the top of this beat so the dog doesn't sneeze. <laughs>